Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin, trying to make sense of a tragic death at St. Thomas More High School. Port Dover is a lot louder today. Hamilton will host the Prime Minister later this month. An apology from Sunwing. How would you like unlimited time off from work? And the NFL gets wild this weekend. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. A motor vehicle was traveling northbound on Upper Paradise and struck a 15-year-old boy. That boy was transported to hospital in critical condition. Later, succumbed to his injuries in hospital. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Students, teachers, and staff at uh, St. Thomas More High School uh, shaken following the tragic death of a 15-year-old boy who was the victim of a hit-and-run on Wednesday afternoon. Jenny Athanasiu Marissa is the manager of Social Work Services and a Compassionate Care Crisis Response Team member with the Hamilton-Wentworth Catholic District School Board and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Jenny, good morning. Good morning. You were deployed to STM yesterday. How is that school community doing? How are they coping with this? Um, well, thank you for having me here this morning. Um, and really, our school community was really, um, as you described, shaken. Um, and we were able to be together yesterday um, and pray and support each other um, at the school. Uh, both staff and students were clearly impacted and bored. Board, all of board, I think our board staff um, was impacted by this tragic event. When this kind of incident happens at school, in this case, outside of the school, you know, shock is that first feeling. No one can believe that something like this could happen. What are some of the other feelings and the thoughts that students, teacher staff share with you or you hear, or you kind of feel um, when they're meeting with you, when they're speaking with you? For the most part, um, I, I think that people's first reaction is shock and want to um, try to get as much information as they can around the circumstances in which um, took place. So oftentimes we don't have the answers. And so the biggest part is coming together as a community and the uh, impact of course has um, differs depending on one's one's own experience. So I think depending on our role and part of our crisis response team does encounter or encompass um, various multidisciplinary staff staff to represent those um, around us. So we have our social workers, we have our chaplaincy leaders, we have um, school support staff, those who know the kids best, um, and those who have relationships with those who are impacted. So oftentimes we um, we are there to provide whatever that support might look like. And depending on the various factors that are impacted, um, you know, each individual is impacted differently. So you may have those who witness the event. So what do they need? Who needs to be sort of um, mindful of their own experiences? Those who have had maybe their own pre-existing issues. Um, so our, our levels of support does really vary. And we are very critical and mindful and work as a team um, to ensure that we have uh, enough support um, and varying support for those who need it. That initial uh, feeling of shock and, and disbelief is going to change over the next few days and, and even weeks. It might There might be some anger there, there. There might be some sadness or depression sitting in for some people who may have witnessed this incident. How important is it to monitor these children over the next few days? And are teachers and staff going to be on high, uh, high alert looking for these uh, warning signs? 
Absolutely. We do take all of those factors into consideration and really do promote that our, our teachers and school staff are those who know the kids best. They see these kids every day, including our families. So parents um, and caregivers are oftentimes um, the ones who recognize that there may be something different about their child or youth. And we really encourage them to reach out to those at the school. We do have our support staff remaining at the school again today. And if additional support is needed next week, we are more than um, ready to uh, deploy staff to support those who need it, both staff and students at the school. Jenny, thank you for your time today. And thanks for the work that you do within our school system. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate the time you've spent with us. Thank you. That is Jenny Athanasiu Marissa, Manager of Social Work Services and a Compassionate Care Crisis Response Team member at the Hamilton-Wentworth Catholic District School Board. Uh, some really heavy days, of course, at St. Thomas More, and we send our condolences to the victim's family and uh, to all the STM community. It's certainly a tough time uh, that you're going through right now. We're right behind you. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Today, as you know, is Friday the 13th. That means thousands, we think, maybe maybe just hundreds, considering the weather, of revelers are going to be celebrating in Port Dover today. Ed Sanchuk is a constable with the Ontario Provincial Police and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Constable Sanchuk, good morning. How are you today? Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me on this morning. Is, uh, is OPP ready? Oh, yes, OPP is definitely ready. However, you know, obviously Mother Nature is not cooperating today. We do have snow on the ground, uh, which may, may make for some tricky driving conditions today, too. So we're just asking anybody that may be traveling, especially the motoring public, uh, don't be shocked or surprised if you see some motorcyclists on a roadway today. Uh, in the past, uh, having it in February, I, I know we've had motorcyclists attend Friday 13th because we do have motorcycle enthusiasts that will come down regardless of the weather conditions. So we're just asking everyone to make sure that they have their head in the swivel, have their entire headlighting system on, checking their blind spots, and when you're coming up to an intersection, making sure you're checking twice before you proceed to that intersection because it will save a life and prevent a crash. Do you have a guesstimate on an attendance figure today, given the weather? You know what? I have no guesstimates whatsoever. Um, we're prepared for anything that may come our way. Um, however, I'd like to think that, obviously, with some of the conditions that we are facing, there may be more motor vehicle traffic than motorcycle traffic. However, we just wanted to put that reminder out for everyone's safety that you may encounter some motorcyclists on our roadway. And for motorcyclists, I, I used to ride as well. Uh, not the most uh, opportune time to ride. However, there are some motorcycle enthusiasts that will attend. So we're just asking everyone to make sure they're wearing high-visibility clothing, that they're visible to the public. Uh, into the motoring public, and as well, um, you know, when you are riding and you are going to start slowing down instead of downshifting, uh, make sure you give the people behind you a little heads up and use your brake lights so that they know that you're starting to slow down. We just want everyone to get to where they're going safely, but more importantly, get home safely to their family so that there's no absolutely no chance for police officer knocking on anyone's door today. Yeah, this could be a tricky day for motorcyclists or just motorists in general, but that it also means it's going to be tricky for officers too. Not only are you in Dover for crowd control, but you might also be asked to respond to numerous crashes in the area too. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um, we're, we're, we've, we've, we have officers that will respond to calls as needed. Unfortunately, you know, in the past on Friday 13th, and again, you know, when it's usually the busy, busier summer months, unfortunately, we've had several collisions involving motorcyclists coming into Friday 13th. So we just want to put that reminder out for everyone to make sure they're putting their safety as a priority. Roadways are all communities that within themselves that we all need to share. 
And we just need to make sure we're treating each other with respect. And, you know, when you are seeing a motorcyclist on a roadway, especially today and any other day, instead of looking at it as a motorcycle, look at it as a human being because that's exactly what's riding that. I know you can't give me a specific figure because of operational issues, but the, the number of officers in Dover for a day like this, is it is it in the dozens? Is it in the hundreds? Can you give me a, a sense of the, the police response? Well, there'll be enough officers to deal with any 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 calls for service that may come our way. Um, I know that uh, obviously due to the weather conditions, due to you know the time of year, um, there's not going to be a full huge scale of police officers. But it'll be like any other day. Um, you know, obviously we patrol our communities 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You will see police officers, so it's not a shocking experience. Uh, people people see the police in the communities all the time, but it's just uh, we want to put a reminder out to everyone that may be attending Port Dover to pick up a T-shirt to get to, you know to maybe pick a T-shirt up and maybe go home, uh, just to uh, do so in a safe manner. The, the, the main fact here is that uh, we do have some snow-covered roadways, as everyone can tell, and it's just one of those days where if you are going to be out, uh, it, it, it's, you need to focus 110% on your driving ability for sure and to reduce your speed. Ed Sanchuk is a constable with Ontario Provincial Police and is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Constable Sanchuk and uh, his uh, colleagues will be in and around Port Dover, especially today, given it's Friday the 13th. There's uh, another story, if we can switch gears, so to speak, uh, in, in Norfolk County, where a resident lost upwards of $200,000 in a romance scam. This is quite sad. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's the victim is quite upset over this, but uh, the, the background about this story is that uh, police received a call back on Monday, January 9th, just before 11.30 in the morning, when we were contacted by a resident reporting a fraud. And it was determined that the victim had been defrauded of over $200,000 between November of 2021 and January of this year, after they established an online relationship over the Internet. So as we de- determined the investigation as it went forward, it was determined that several emails and phone calls were exchanged with details of the suspect's history and employment status. And during the course of, this, during the course of the corresponding, uh, you know, several requests were made for funds, after the suspect claimed that they were having several emergencies and requested money. So knowledge is power, and the OPP is asking everyone across Ontario, regardless of age or gender, to take basic steps to better protect themselves from becoming victims of fraud, such as never giving out personal information over the phone, the Internet, or through social media or dating websites. And the sad part, too, is it's almost impossible to catch these individuals because they could be in another country. In today's world of online dating and and, and scams and fraudsters, they could be anywhere. Absolutely. So that's why we're asking everyone to check website addresses carefully. Scammers often set up fake websites with very similar addresses to legitimate dating websites. Sometimes it's amazing to see some of the, uh, you know, the, the extent that they will go through and, you know, never send money or gift cards or online account details to anyone you do not know and trust and a request to send money to a foreign country using e-transfers or even Bitcoin or Apple iTunes cards uh, to a person you've never personally met should be a red flag. Absolutely. Constable Sanchuk, thank you for your time today. Good luck on the roads and around over today. All right, thanks. Everyone take care and stay safe. You too. That's Constable Ed Sanchuk, Ontario Provincial Police, as a number of officers will be in Port Dover today for Friday the 13th celebrations. And yes, those those tips and advice about romance scams. Boy, there are some unscrupulous individuals out there just trying to get at you, trying to get your money. Be careful. Think twice. Use common sense. In many of these cases, common sense will prevail. I know easier said than done when you're wrapped up in, you know, these types of incidents, but uh, yeah, use your common sense. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Right around this month, the prime minister is going to be in uh, Hamilton. He's not, uh, he's not campaigning. At least we don't think he is. No, this is going to be for a cabinet retreat. He does this All prime ministers do this. All political party leaders do this. Meet with the cabinet. 
and figure out the game plan going forward. So, you know, two questions come to mind. What's on the docket and why Hamilton? Peter Grafe is a professor of political science at McMaster University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Peter, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Well, let's start with maybe the easy one and, and what's on the docket. What is this cabinet retreat going to be focusing on? I think it's really about developing strategy for the upcoming parliamentary session, which is, of course, also going to include uh, the budget. So I suspect the, the cabinet will also get a bit of a, a preview of what the different priorities in the budget are going to be. But, you know, it's a government that's now, I mean, it's actually just about a, a year and a quarter into its current mandate, but already seems very kind of sluggish, doesn't have a very, uh, you know, strong sense of priorities that it's uh, giving to Canadians. To the extent it has been doing things, it seems to be related to the accord they signed with the NDP. And so the NDP gets uh, some of the credit for things like dental care uh, that have been, you know, come out in the past year. So I think part of this uh, this cabinet retreat will also be about how do they regain the agenda by uh, being able to reach Canadians with uh, what their priorities are for the the remaining, uh, you know, two and a half, three years of their mandate. This retreat will be held from January 23rd to the 25th in Hamilton. Will the health care transfer payment issue be a hot topic, do you think? Well, I mean, I think uh, Trudeau and, uh, you know, his, his, cab, his finance minister Freeland will have uh, come to a decision about, uh, you know, how much money they are willing to, to give to the, the provinces, uh, we saw Premier Ford indicate that he's, you know, willing to put some water in his wine in terms of negotiating uh, with the federal government. So they may be getting closer to an agreement with the provinces. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be a big chunk of the budget. Or you know, if there isn't a deal with the provinces, there will be a big missing chunk to the budget uh, in terms of that money. And so yeah, I think that's going to be a big debate. I mean, particularly when the government has decided to go ahead with a, a massive expenditure. Uh, for the uh, the acquiring of the uh, F-35 jets, um, you know, if they don't have some money for health care or some other large social initiative, I suspect that will not play that well with parts of, of their coalition. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Peter Grave, political science professor at McMaster University. We're chatting about the Prime Minister's cabinet retreat later on this month in Hamilton. You mentioned the budget. Um, health care is the number one topic in this nation again. You think more money, more attention will be paid to that file, or is the cost of living still going to remain that number one priority for this government? Well, I think for both, there's an issue for the federal government that they don't have a a lot of leverage on dealing with those dealing with those issues. Obviously, on the cost of living, they can do more in terms of uh, improving tax credits to low income Canadians uh, to help them in that moment. But by the time you get into the middle class, uh, if you're you know providing significant uh, measures to reduce the cost of living, it, it becomes very expensive. So uh, I think there's limits to to what they can do there. Um, and of course, on health care, they can do things if the provinces are willing to play ball. But to date, uh, you know, that still hasn't been solved. So the question is, can they get to an agreement with the provinces in the next month or so, so that it makes it into the budget? You know, if that's not there, then yeah, that's going to be a difficult question for them when Canadians are saying, well, we're worried about a health care system. But there's not, you know, an obvious move by the federal government. But then again, you know, what can the federal government do? It can offer money to the provinces. You know, it's a ways from that to actually seeing improvements 
uh, you know, at your local emergency room. The other question I asked initially was why Hamilton? I mean, there are a number of cities this retreat can be held in. Is this a strategic decision, seeing that, you know, Hamilton, over the last number of elections, provincially and federally, is not a wash in red? Well, actually, federally, it's more a wash in red than it has been. Yeah, for a well, that's while. true. I yeah. think that may be one of the reasons they're down here. I mean, they now hold three of the five seats in Hamilton, but. Hamilton East, uh, the Conservatives finished second last time and then won that seat provincially, so they must be a bit worried uh, about Chad Collins uh, there. And Hamilton Mountain had long been an NDP uh, riding, which they won narrowly. But if you look at the national polls, the Liberals are down about 4%, the NDP up about 4%. That would certainly uh, bring that seat back to the NDP, uh, you know, if, the, if, if we saw the similar movement in, in local polls. So, yeah, part of, of planning these cabinet retreats is to put them someplace where you hope to get a bit of positive media coverage and to support the local candidates. And so there must be some concern that in Hamilton that there's at least a couple of seats that are in play. I mean, putting it in Hamilton also means that you get a bit of play on the outer Toronto media channels. And, uh, you know, what are seats that the Liberals have to win next time if they're going to continue as a minority or majority government? Well, it's, it's a seats on the outer 905. So, you know, there's reasons why placing it here probably... Uh, at the margins, has a positive impact for their electoral prospects. All good points from Peter Grafe, Professor of Political Science at McMaster University. Peter, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Let me begin by apologizing that we failed to deliver to the level that we had expected and that Canadians had expected from us over this holiday season. Our government is not hiding. We are going to assume our responsibilities, and the industry must assume theirs. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Those are the voices of Sunwing President Len Carrado and Transport Minister Omar Algabra. They were called to testify yesterday in front of the House of Commons Transport Committee. And this has all to do with the, the holiday travel mess, for lack of a better term, that left hundreds of Canadians, thousands of Canadians stranded in places like Mexico and uh, and others, and, and thousands more encountering cancelled flights. So what happens next, I think, is the most important question we have to ask ourselves and, and find the answer to. And, and here to help us stick handle through this is Barry Choi, money and travel experts who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Barry, welcome back to the show. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. Thanks for having me again. Let's uh, start with Sunwing's president. I mean, great that he apologized, but I mean, his company really dropped the ball on a number of fronts. How much damage do you think Sunwing has suffered? Uh, I would say a lot, because the joke is within the industry, everyone kind of knows that Sunwing is, you know, not very reliable. But everyone typically looks the other way because, you know, they're really cheap. So it's like, you know, if I can save money on my trip, why not? But now you've got Sunwing, who's like canceling flights left and right. They basically abandoned the province completely. I don't think anyone, regardless of where you live, will really trust anything Sunwing says anymore. Uh, and if you are going to book Sunwing, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. I would just make sure you've got two or three backup plans just in case. So is this a death knell for Sunwing? I don't know if death nail is, is the right world because in the sense, the way the travel industry works is a lot of people are still looking for cheap vacations. You, you know, when you look at the alternatives, sometimes it can be a, a significant difference. And a lot of consumers out there, especially with record inflation, they're looking at their bottom line. And if Sunwing or any other carrier is offering them a lower price, I think people will just naturally 
book towards them. And But that said, you know, over the last couple of years, I think a lot of people are starting to understand that maybe the lowest price isn't necessarily the best best thing. Len Carrado, the uh, the Sunwing president, said that uh, weather was certainly a contributing factor, and, and we can not ignore that because it certainly was. But there was also staffing shortages. There was also, as he said, outdated infrastructure. On those last two points, the staffing and the infrastructure, what is the plan here? Are we going to see some movement? Are we going to see some improvement? You know, this is a really interesting because Sunwing did blame that. But, you know, Air Canada, WestJet, they had similar you know, uh, complaints in the summer, you know, when, when travel picked up, uh, unexpectedly, all of a sudden people were traveling again, but Sunwing's core business is the winter. Uh, so they kind of like, this is kind of on them. And then, you know, they blame the fact that, oh, you know, we, uh, we didn't get those international pilots. We, we thought we were going to get approved for, um, but at the same time, you, you know, you look at the dates and they were waiting for that end of November. All of a sudden you get these internationally trained pilots that are going to start flying three or four weeks later. I'm sure they got the credentials, but that isn't uh, instill consumer confidence is, is what I'm getting at. And to blame infrastructure, sure, yeah, of course, you, you could blame, uh, you know, what happens at Pearson's baggage carousels where basically the cold weather froze things. But, you know, I don't know if I would blame that. You want to blame security or whatever. In the end, a lot of it has to do with airlines, uh, how they staff their, their, their planes, where they get their planes from. And, and again, you know, at least with Air Canada, they've got a bigger fleet. They've got more staff so they can try to pull when they need to with someone like Sunwing or any smaller carrier for that matter it's much more difficult our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Barry Choi, travel and money experts, and we're talking about uh, Sunwing Airlines and the travel chaos that uh, a number of other carriers like uh, Southwest Airlines encountered over the holiday period. From the federal government's standpoint, there were some opposition MPs on this transport committee who were basically accusing the transport minister, Omar Al-Gabra, of, quote, passing the buck, not doing enough while all this chaos was going down. What do you make of the government's response to all this <laughs> it's kind of a bit of a joke but it dates way back to uh prior to what happened over the holidays is basically the passenger rights in canada i would argue is the bigger issue uh you, you know these passenger rights highly favor the airlines basically you, you know without getting too many details airlines don't need to compensate if it's safety or weather related uh so obviously they can use that excuse nonstop uh, for any reason whatsoever. Now, in Europe, uh, the laws are much, much stricter. And if the airlines don't pay out, they're fined significantly more. So if you encounter a delay in Europe, the odds of you getting paid out are very high and very quick. So what I'm getting at here is the fact that because airlines have so many excuses, they're, they're going to keep using them, even if they know they're wrong and they know they owe money. They're just going to hope that the public pays out or, or will just not want to deal with it. Uh, and because basically the public needs to fight back, you, you know, put in the claims, complain to the Can- Canadian Transport Agency. So, yeah, should the government be doing more, enforcing more? They definitely should, because if you ask any consumer advocate when these air passenger rights came out, everyone said it was a joke. And two years later, we're now exactly seeing why it's a joke. El Gabra yesterday said that he plans to strengthen the rules to protect air passengers, which is great. The new legislation, though, is going to take months to come into effect. Well, that's exactly it. You know, these complaints have actually happened before. They, they quote unquote, did strengthen the rules 
But again, it didn't make much of a difference because the joke is they end up working with the airlines, be like, oh, how can we strengthen the rules to make it better? And everyone will be like, hey, you know, look, we put in these new rules. It's great for passengers. It'll help you. But in reality, it doesn't. And like you said, it's going to take months to happen. So, so, so how about all those people that were stranded uh, over the holidays and basically left to fend for their own, right? What are their rights? You know, a lot of these passengers who had their vacations canceled, yeah, they had to rebook, but no one's paying them the difference or, or the extra incurred costs that they got. So there's a lot of things out there that need to be addressed, and I'm sure they won't be addressed in these changes. Well, I think the one thing that has to happen, and we only got about a minute to talk about this, is that I think these companies like Sunwing, these airlines, the penalty for breaking the rules has to be substantially greater. That's exactly it. It goes back to what I said about Europe. The rules are very, very strict. You know, I I think airlines in Europe, they don't want to be paying tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. They'd rather just pay the consumers what they're rightfully earned. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I wouldn't rely on that. If I'm, if you're a passenger about to travel, make sure you have travel insurance. So at least you have some protection to help you out if you get delayed or if your flight's canceled. Barry, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. No problem. Anytime. Barry Choi is a travel and money expert. Check him out on Twitter and Instagram at Barry Choi. Uh, he's got some great things to say on social media. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Keep this in mind if you're bumping into the boss today. And that's vacation time. How much vacation time do you get in a year? I get five weeks of vacation. That That's more than I need. Really, it is more than I, I mean, I'll take the days. But that's really more than I think an individual needs. Five weeks is a good, solid number. If you get five weeks, great. If it's four, if it's two, whatever the case is. What if I told you that there are actually more than one workplace who offers unlimited time off? That's right. Take as much time as you want. It's called discretionary time off. And at Microsoft... It's going into effect on January the 16th. It's not the first company to do so, but it's one of the latest and one of the biggest. And so this unlimited time off is in addition to corporate holidays, leave of absences, sick days, mental health, jury duty, bereavement, list goes on and on. So why is Microsoft doing this? Killian Shukalari is an HR advisory manager at Peninsula Canada and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Killian, good morning. How are you today? Uh, Good morning. Very good. And thanks for having me. What are the positives and the negatives of unlimited vacation for the employee? Well, there's lots of positives, as as everyone can think uh, that's listening to us. Um, The the fact that you're not really bound by any type of restrictions, um, especially if you're an individual that that is highly organized, um, you work in an environment where completing your task is very um, evident. Your work uh, is pretty much structured. Um, putting all things in order prior to, to going on vacation um, will allow you to enjoy the time off, feel re-energized. Um, you, you can really um, have a much better work-life balance, even though that's coming to question as to what that means nowadays. But um, yeah, I mean, that, those are the positives. Like as an individual, you're, you'll be able to enjoy a lot more um, me time, as we say, and also at the same time, um, be a productive uh, contributor at work. I mean, those are those are the main positives. Like your, your family will be more happier um, based on what we what we're hearing. 
but and I, I know I know that's your, that's going to be your next question. Here's, so I'll leave, I'll leave it to you. Yeah. No, no. Here, <laughs> what, what's the catch? I mean, what what is the downside of this? Well, we 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 started the conversation, started hearing about this type of trend from companies that are very, uh, highly structured. Uh, they do have a very uh, task oriented, uh, very organized um, HR department as well. Uh, they understand uh, how they can track when work is done properly. They can understand um, that there are certain departments that um, this applies uh, specifically, and others that need to be uh, maybe. Treat a little bit differently. It depends on the what you're trying to achieve. And these are big corporations. They have a, they have a lot of staff. They can stagger their 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 time when when individuals are available, when things need to be completed. If I'm not in, you can take my responsibility. So it's not something that works everywhere, especially if you don't have a proper policy uh, in place that really identifies what, uh, um, you know, as free as it sounds, what the limitations are and how you have to really, really set things in place properly prior to you leaving, because it could disrupt your environment. If everyone asks for a time off at the same time, if everyone maybe uh, takes time off and then they try to extend that time mm-hmm. off uh, beyond what could be uh, appropriate and what is that? Uh, what's the appropriate amount, right? Once you say it's unlimited, then it sounds like I can I can do what I want. I yeah. take the time when I when I want. So it requires a high level of coordination. And if that does not exist, then you might actually end up uh, causing more harm than anything. It is uh, tricky for managers for sure to keep track and make sure that their employees are actually doing work when they're there. Studies have shown that unlimited vacation uh, does mean more engaged workers, decreased employee uh, employee turnover, which is good. It also Mm. shows that the average employees with unlimited vacation actually took less time off than employees with a set amount of vacation days, which is pretty interesting. We only got about a minute. I want to ask you about whether or not vacation time is still an attractive carrot for job seekers? Uh, Certainly it is. Any type of policy and any type of perk, as we call it, that offers a level of flexibility uh, will attract a lot of employees, especially um, post-pandemic when everyone, um, even though a lot of companies are pushing to get uh, individuals back in the office, a lot of individuals are still pressing and asking for a more flexible uh, environment. Remote work continues to be uh, a thing. So this kind of flexibility will certainly attract individuals. But like, like you said, there is pros and cons to it. You need to have properly drafted policies around this uh, because uh, it's something that uh, you want to be a benefit. You don't want to be um, having happy employees, engaged employees to the detriment of other individuals. That's a good point. Killian, thank you for your time this morning. Enjoy the day and the weekend. Absolutely. Same to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's Killian Shukalari, HR Advisory Manager at Peninsula Canada. Unlimited vacation also offered at Netflix, General Electric, uh, LinkedIn. The benefit for Microsoft, why they're doing this? One of the reasons. It removes the need to pay out unused vacation time when an employee leaves the company. There it is. (laughs) You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The NFL playoffs kick off tomorrow. Six games making up wildcard weekend. The Bills entertain Miami, San Francisco hosting Seattle. The Chargers are in Jacksonville. We have the Giants invading Minnesota, Cincinnati welcoming Baltimore. And on Monday night, it's Tom Brady and the Bucks hosting Dallas. Which team has what it takes to go all the way? Well, let's ask Austin Gale, Audience Management Manager at The Ringer. You can check it out at theringer.com. Austin, good morning. How are you? 
Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. You've done a power ranking of the 14 remaining teams. Now, before we talk about the top of the chart, I want to go to the bottom rungs on this ladder. Miami is 14th. The Giants, Seattle, Tampa Bay are 13, 12, 11, respectively. Uh, considering Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa won't play in Buffalo on Sunday or, or on Saturday, a major question mark with the three other teams as well. I, I think you pretty much nailed the bottom four on this list. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think with Miami Dolphins, I think I wrote in that blurb, they're dead in the water, right? I, I do not think the Miami Dolphins have a chance in the playoffs, especially now that the news has come out that Tua Tagovailoa has been ruled out, still not cleared out of concussion protocol. Skyler Thompson is expected to start for the Miami Dolphins. I just don't think they have it. And the defense that has had some success this season, it's a blitz-heavy defense, it's a man-heavy defense, I think they will really struggle to limit Josh Allen in this one. I think the line has moved from 10.5-point favorites, the Buffalo Bills, to now 13.5-point favorites. I think the Buffalo Bills will dominate in this one and should cruise the divisional round. I don't see the Miami Dolphins uh, really having a chance. From 10 to 5, you have the Jaguars, Vikings, Ravens, Chargers, Cowboys, and 49ers. The only team I'd move out of the top 10 would be Minnesota if I were forced to do so. I just it, It's strange to say, but, you know, Come wildcard weekend, I still don't know what this team is. I don't think anyone knows what this team is, to be fair, right? 11-0 in one-score games this year. Only opponents they beat by more than two scores were the Green Bay Packers in Week 1, and obviously the Chicago Bears with Nathan Peterman in Week 18. They have not, since Week 1, allowed less than 22 points to opponents outside of Miami and Chicago. Those obviously being quarterback by Skyler Thompson and Nathan Peterman. It is a defense that ranks 31st in points per game allowed, 31st in yards allowed per game. And they have Kirk Cousins, which I do think is a limiting factor at the quarterback position. Why I have them in the top 10, however, is they have Justin Jefferson, who is arguably the best receiver in the NFL right now, best receiver in the playoffs. Jamar Chase, obviously, in the conversation. Stephon Diggs in the conversation. But, man, he has been phenomenal for them, especially in the fourth quarter in these close games. I think Justin Jefferson gives them an edge. And when you look at this matchup they have against the New York Giants at home, that I know that they're three-point favorites. I don't think there's a defensive back on the roster for New York that can actually limit Justin Jefferson like we saw in the second Green Bay Packers matchup when Jair Alexander followed him around the field. I think Justin Jefferson gives them an edge. I think the most overvalued team in that tier is actually the Baltimore Ravens. When I wrote that piece, you know, J J John Harbaugh said there was a strong chance Lamar Jackson plays. It's looking mm -hmm. unlikely that he plays in this game now. They probably go outside the top 10 if I rewrite this one, knowing that Lamar Jackson won't play. Yeah, you're probably right. Austin Gale is our guest, audience management manager, manager at uh, The Ringer. You can check out his power ranking of the playoff teams at theringer.com. You have the Bengals fourth on your list. Buffalo is third, Casey second, and Philadelphia first. What made you choose that order? The Eagles at one, I think, is what people would have the most disagreements with. I think it's just so easy for us to use the Gardner Minshew recency bias to knock them out of the top spot. People forget that through the 15, first 15 weeks of the season, this team was 14-1, first-ranked offense in EPA per play, sixth-ranked defense in EPA per play allowed. This was a juggernaut of a football team when Jalen Hurts was fully healthy. If, with the bye week now and home field advantage, into the, the Super Bowl in the NFC has to go through Philadelphia. I think they're really well-positioned to make a run in the postseason, especially if, over the next two weeks, Jalen Hurts is fully healthy, and they can effectively use him in the run game. The lowest-ranked team in that top five, the San Francisco 49ers, 
The worry is, can Brock Purdy do the improbable, do the impossible? <laughs> a seventh-round pick, a rookie quarterback this season who has been absolutely phenomenal since taking over for the injured, injured Jimmy Garoppolo in Week 13. Can he win three games to get to the Super Bowl and be the first rookie quarterback ever to win one? I think if there's any team that could do it, if there's any coach that could do it, it's Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers. But, man, it would be a special story if Brock Purdy does go all the way. Yeah, Mr. Irrelevant to Super Bowl champion would be unbelievable. If there's one team outside your top five that is the best chance to win it all, or at least perhaps go to a conference championship game, it's got to be Dallas, right? Absolutely. I think the Dallas, you know, there, there's an argument to the fact that Dak Prescott is the best quarterback in the NFC playoffs. Jalen Hurts has obviously had a phenomenal season, but we've seen more of a drop back passing game from Dak Prescott. And at his best, I think he's better than a Jalen Hurts. And obviously Tom Brady has been the greatest quarterback of all time. But I think at the current state in his career, I think Dak Prescott might actually have the edge over Tom Brady. You factor that in with a star-studded defense, Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, Trayvon Diggs. There's almost too much talent for them to fail. But who could fail him? Mike McCarthy. That's always the worry. Mike <laughs> McCarthy and his offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, I've been unimpressed with what they've done on the sideline as a coaching staff in Dallas. If they can't win over Tampa Bay, which I know they're a three-point road favorite, I think there are going to be, have to be some questions, right? Mike McCarthy unable to win a playoff game in Dallas. That is concern. If I ask you right now, who's your Super Bowl winner? I'm I'm going with the Chiefs at this point, even though the AFC is a gauntlet and Philly might be the you know have the easiest path to at least get to the championship game. Who, who's your choice to win it all? It's the Chiefs. I'm right there with you. Pat Mahomes should be a runaway favorite for league MVP this season. He has been an arm and a leg better than every quarterback so far in the 2022 NFL season. And this offense, without Tyreek Hill, is somehow better. And that's a huge credit to how Pat Mahomes has you know, improved his game. And also, when you look at the offensive efficiency, they average 0.16 EPA per play. First-ranked offense in the NFL. What does that number mean? Not really. No, no one really knows. But when you look at the second-ranked team, there's 0.08. That's the Buffalo Bills. They're double the second-place team in EPA per play. It's effectively efficiency as an offense. This Chiefs team is a juggernaut, a buzzsaw. Defense doesn't, you know, pales in comparison to what the Eagles have or what the Bills have. But that offense with Patrick Mahomes, there's nothing better. Boy, I can't wait. It's going to be fun to watch a wildcard weekend this weekend starting tomorrow. More games Sunday and the Monday nighter, Brading the Bucks hosting Dallas. Austin, appreciate the time. Enjoy the playoffs. Absolutely. Thank you. That is Austin Gale, audience engagements manager with The Ringer. Find out more details online at theringer.com. So it's Seahawks at Niners tomorrow afternoon at 4.30. At 8.15, Chargers kicking off against the Jags. Bills, Dolphins is Sunday at 1. Giants at Minnesota is Sunday at 4.30. The Sunday Nighter kicking off at 8.15 is Ravens at Bengals. And the Monday Nighter at 8.15, it's Cowboys at Buccaneers. Enjoy the playoffs. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.